to Seasoned Crime. My name is Jasmine Nicole and I am the host of this show. I come to you every week to share a story about a minority. I want to make sure that the ones who are normally in the shadows are put out in the open. Sometimes I tell stories that you may have heard of and others are going to be new stories for you, but either way, they will represent the ones that don't get the mainstream attention that they deserve. Today, after the episode, I'm also going to be doing our It Takes a Village segment, speaking on mental health conditions and how they affect minorities. Before I even get into today's episode, though, I I would be doing a disservice if I didn't let you guys know about a documentary um, or docu-series, should I say, on HBO Max called Black and Missing. So I've been following Black and Missing on their Instagram page for a little bit, but this documentary sheds such a huge spotlight on how the experiences for when people go missing um, in the black and brown community are completely different than the white race. Most of these families are on the ground day and night just trying to get someone to pay attention to them. We know that people aren't looking as closely. So until they do, we have to keep shoving it in their faces. And this documentary did just that. That is why I do this podcast and why it's so important to me anyways. People are only aware about things that they are aware about. So you can't get mad at someone for not knowing what they don't know. If something's never put out in front of them, if people are never, um, if it's never brought to their attention, that's why this podcast is so important to me. And so seeing that documentary made me so proud that our stories are continuing to be put on display. And so it is impossible to ignore. So please, this is not an ad or anything. This is just me sharing with you something that is so important for the culture and for the true crime community. So make sure you check that out. So now back to our story that I have for you today. When this incident happened, it was huge news, but not quite as big as a very similar crime that was done by a white lady. Being a mother is one of the hardest jobs in the world, and that comes with no instruction manual. There's no kind of pay increase or monetary benefits or even medical benefits. There's no training class. Um, There's no, you know, test to see if you're physically or emotionally ready for what is by far the hardest and most demanding jobs ever. It's so easy to speak in hindsight about the could have, would have, should haves, but the truth is you never truly know what's going on in someone's head. Today... I'm going to tell you the tragic story of Shaquan Dooley. In an urban area in Orangeburg County, about 35 miles south of the capital city of Columbia, South Carolina, 30-year-old Shaquan Dooley lived in the home with her mother, Helen, her sister, Adrian, um, Shaquan's three children, and her nephews. With that many people, you can imagine that the home was very tight. Shaquan shared a room with her three children. Her oldest was her daughter, who was about five years old, and she had two sons, two-year-old Devon and 18-month-old Javon. The father of the boys wasn't in the picture, so Shaquan was raising these three kids alone with the help of her family. I can personally speak to that um, and what that could have felt like 
on one side, you are beyond thankful for the help that you do have from your family. But on the other side, you realize and recognize that your responsibilities as a parent and knowing that you're having to depend on others to take care of those responsibilities can sometimes be just as defeating. Even with her family providing her a place to stay, Shaquan was struggling. She had been trying to take classes and further her education, but she was failing those classes. Her financial life, it wasn't that great either. Shaquan was unemployed and funds were beyond tight. So she just couldn't figure out how to get all of the pieces of the puzzle of motherhood to fit. August 16th, 2010 is the day that changed everything for the Dooley family. Shaquan's sister was home watching her nephews when she took it upon herself to give them a bath. For no other reason other than she recognized that they needed one. So she stepped in to do it. In most instances, I feel like this would have been seen as welcome help, but not for Shaquan. This is one of those things where you never know what's going on in someone's head. Because for Shaquan, this was the trigger that set her off. She came home and was irate. Shaquan felt like her family was constantly speaking down on her failures as a parent, along with the inability to provide financially, and she was sick of it. Her sister told her that she felt that she wasn't taking care of those boys to the best of her ability, and that's why she gave them a bath. Shaquan's family had never seen her so upset like this. I mean, when I say she snapped, I mean just that. It wasn't a physical altercation, but it was enough for her mother to call the police to come help and give assistance. Once the police were called, Shaquan got her boys and sped off in the car before the police arrived. When the police did show up, they called Shaquan and they asked her to come back. They wanted to see if she could come and while they were there, if the family could fix the situation and help calm everyone down, but Shaquan never turned around and went back. She was still in a rage of anger about what happened, so she said she stopped by a gas station to get the boys something to drink, and she decided to get something for herself as well. She explained this, um, but she didn't really give the name of the actual product, so I'm not sure if it has a name or if it's maybe called something different um, in different places, but she says this was a powder mixture sold at the gas station, and it was a mixture of sleep aids and painkillers. This is something that she was very familiar with, but This time, she bought them in bulk with the intention of overdosing. Not long after checking into the motel, her boys, Javon and Devon, were dead. Shaquan suffocated these boys, starting with Devon first. When they found him, he had defensive wounds, indicating that he did attempt to fight back. Shaquan said she tried multiple times to commit suicide herself as well while in that motel room, but she just couldn't bring herself to do it but she had another idea on how they could all go away together. She got the boys' lifeless bodies and put them in the car seats. After strapping them in, she drove with their deceased bodies in the back seat about 10 miles away to the Edesto River. She said she wanted to die with them, so she drove to the river with the intention of rolling the car into the river and drowning with her kids. However, once again, She couldn't go through with it, so she jumped out of the car before it went underwater. She didn't have a cell phone, so from there, she walked down the country road and ended up flagging down a motorist who called 911 for her, which was about 6.15 on the morning of August 17th. When the cops first showed up, the rescue team was hoping for a recovery of the boys, but 
When they pulled out the car, they saw the gruesome discovery of the deceased bodies. Shaquan was frantic and said she fell asleep while driving and the car just ended up going over the bridge into the water. They ended up arresting Shaquan at the scene and charging her with leaving the scene of a crime, but Sheriff Larry Williams of the Orangeburg County Police Department said that they immediately noticed some inconsistencies with the story. For instance, there weren't any skid marks near the area that she said that she went off the bridge. Another thing is, if this happened, just like she said, and by chance the car did go off the bridge and she managed to escape, Why were her clothes so dry? Like completely dry, not even a little bit damp, nothing. And if those things didn't raise any red flags, they also raised an eye as to why she ran up the road in order to get help. From where the car went into the river to where Shaquan flagged down a motorist for help, she passed multiple homes. So why didn't she stop at any of them? There was a house literally right next to the area of the river that she would have been in when that car went down. So she would have had to pass this home in order to even go towards the road. When they arrested Shaquan and they took her into the police station, they did continue to interrogate her. And eventually that day, Shaquan ended up confessing to the murder. The father of the boys was never located. September 16th. About a month after the murder of Shaquan's family, along with her lawyer, they were guests on the Oprah Winfrey show to speak about everything that had happened. Oprah asked Shaquan's sister, Adrian about why she believed that giving her children a bath was so triggering. And Adrian replied saying that possibly Shaquan felt like it was an invasion of privacy. Adrian admitted that she did tell Shaquan that she wasn't doing the best that she believed that she could as a mother. And she stood by that. She felt that being a mother to those three became too much, and with each kid, it just got worse. But at no time at all did anyone think anything like this was even possible. Shaquan's mother, Helen, spoke to Shaquan's mental health, admitting that she knows that her daughter was depressed. She said, and I quote, I know she was depressed because she was unemployed. She was depressed about not having the means to take care of her children. I took care of her and the house. I paid for everything. She was trying to go to online classes, but she failed. Shaquan's attorney was on the couch with the family as well, because at the time, this was still an ongoing investigation. He confirmed that she had been evaluated by a state-appointed forensic psychiatrist who did confirm the depression. Oprah also spent some time in the jail with Shaquan and asked her to review some of the events that had happened. And if you do want to see this interview, um, you can pull it up on YouTube. Um, there's different segments of this show, but it will, speaking on these on, on the same tragedy as well. Oprah closed out her segment with Shaquan by asking what she believed should be her punishment for something like this. I mean, did, did she feel like she was a danger to herself or anyone else for that matter? And to that, Shaquan assured her that she was not any kind of danger to anyone and that she had made peace with whatever her punishment is. She deserved it. When the case went to trial, Shaquan pled guilty. She only spoke for about three minutes through the whole entire thing, using that time to apologize for what she had done and asking for forgiveness from her family as well as the community. She also said that she missed her boys so much, but that she was thankful that she still had the memories of them. 
She was quoted as saying, In spite of whatever I've gone through, I still have hope and joy in my heart that one day I will see them again. Her family spoke as well, emphasizing that no matter what had happened, that Shaquan was a good person and that she loves her kids. Her mom, Helen, spoke saying, quote, I'm asking people not to judge her for what she's done, but to understand that we all have problems and we never know when things may get out of hand. That's why it's so important not to keep things bottled up in you, but to let someone know. As much as it hurt that something like this happened, her loved ones believe that Shaquan's story will help someone and cause them to speak out before things get out of hand. On March 30th, 2012, Shaquan was sentenced to 35 years in prison after the medical professionals confirmed that, yes, there was mental illness, However, Shaquan had a clear understanding of right and wrong. When this case occurred, a lot of people compared it to the case of Susan Smith. Susan Smith was a huge, huge media frenzy case. In 1995, Susan was found guilty of rolling her car into the lake, drowning her two sons, three and 14 months. This case garnered so much media attention, not only because of the crime itself, but also because of what happened after the crime. Susan was a white woman, and when the cops first asked her about what happened, she falsely claimed that a black man kidnapped her sons during a carjacking, and that man must have ditched the car by dumping it into the river. Susan confessed to the crime about two weeks later and ended up being sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 30 years. Cases like this are always so hard to comprehend, but at the same time, so easy for me to understand. On one side, how dare you? As a mother, how could you possibly kill your own kids? We all have struggles and we all go through things, but to take life away from the same ones that you birthed, that's unfathomable. But on the other hand, I know that when you're suffering from a mental illness, sometimes it feels like there's no way out and you don't think logically. I strongly believe that postpartum depression could have also played a part in this as well. I don't know how to explain it, but I just know that these kind of things aren't as black and white as they sound. I hope those boys have been able to rest peacefully and I also wish for peace and healing for Shaquan as well. I can't imagine going through something like that, but even more, I can't imagine with living with yourself after something like that. That was today's highlight of a minority, Shaquan Dooley. I will be doing our Keep It Takes a Village segment, so make sure to keep listening. But also don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show as well. All feedback is accepted. And if you have Apple Podcasts, make sure that you leave a rating and comment on the show. The comments along with the ratings are what helps the ranking of the podcast. I don't do this for the fame or the accolades. This is just a hobby that I truly believe in. I know what this means to me. And I also know that I can't be the only one out there who feels underrepresented in the true crime community. So if you like what you're hearing, please share. Not only with your comments, but share with your friends and family. Post the show and I guarantee it's appreciated more than you'll ever know. Again, stick around, keep listening, and we'll be right back with our It Takes a Village segment. Thank you for still listening to this month's It Takes a Village. 
once a month, I will highlight some sort of mental health information. Mental health is so underrated in the black and brown communities. It's a taboo topic that instead of talking about, it gets pushed to the side. And you're either supposed to hope it away or pray it away. Now, I'm no kind of mental health professional. I don't have any kind of degrees or certifications or anything like that. I'm just someone who wants to provide an open dialogue for all of us. Today, we heard the story of Shaquan Dooley and how her illness took over so bad to where she ended up killing her children. So today, I want to speak on how depression plays such a part in our communities. In the story that I told today, after all was said and done, Helen, Shaquan's mom, pleaded with people to speak up and to speak out about what was going on in their head. She was able to say that after such a tragic event occurred, but what about before it gets to that point? It seems that if in hindsight they could see some of the things that showed that Shaquan was struggling mentally, however, it doesn't seem like that was ever acknowledged before. Instead of trying to help mentally, Shaquan was told over and over that she wasn't a fit parent. Now, I want to make sure it's very, very clear that in no way am I saying that the family has any wrongdoing or played any part in why or how this happened, but I do just want to point out how hard it is to speak out as a mother. Motherhood, or parenthood for that matter, is a job that no matter if it's your first child or your fifth child, if you have money or if you're financially struggling, if you're single or if you're married, None of that takes away from the fact that being a parent is hard. It's even harder for a mother to admit that they're struggling or that they need help because it then comes off as a sign of weakness or that you just can't do it. According to the National Institute of Health website, black and brown people are significantly more likely to experience serious depression than white people. Social and economic inequalities is a contributing factor to the chronic stress that plays such a huge role in depression. 13% of the population identifies as black, and of that, over 16% has reported as having some kind of mental illness in the past year. That breaks down to over 7 million people. Trying to process and deal with personal trauma, then adding mass traumas of things such as police brutality and the political divide that's so prevalent, no matter how hard you try to keep it away and avoid it, that can be triggering. The black and brown community are normally not as willing to seek help. Many depend on the faith-based outreach, which is fine, but many faith leaders aren't medical professionals. That, as well as the fact that minorities, they have a lot of mistrust towards the medical system due to prior treatment towards the community as a whole. These stigmas have a huge effect on coping behaviors where Many aren't even willing to acknowledge that the problems exist. And if you don't believe that there's a problem, then you're not looking or seeking help. The black and brown communities are overrepresented in our jails and prison, accounting for about 40% of the prison population. Black and brown people with mental health issues, with an emphasis on those with issues involving psychosis, are more likely to be put in jail than any other race. The community is so underrepresented in the American Psychological Association with only about 2% of that population being people of color. Research has proven that in the minority communities, mild depression and anxiety is also oftentimes seen as being crazy. 
so people are less likely to speak out about it, avoiding being seen as such. Our communities were raised to be strong and resilient no matter what was happening, and that goes all the way back to our ancestors in the slavery times, where the expectation was just to figure out a way to deal with what was happening to you and around you. Everyone, no matter the race or color, wants to live a healthy life in all aspects, including physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. But the challenge for the black and brown community, as well as healthcare professionals, is redefining what healthy actually looks like to us and those alike. If you or anyone you know needs help and you're not comfortable seeking it in person, you can text the crisis text line at 741-741. This texting service provides free anonymous support 24-7 via text messages to people in crisis. And if you ever have any suicidal thoughts, counselors are available at the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. As a community, we have got to make this dialogue surrounding mental health more open and safe for people to express themselves. We have to start investing in the mental health of ourselves and our communities giving each other the permissions to hurt, along with the permission and the space to heal. We really are all we got. Thank you again for hanging out with me and listening to today's episode, as well as sticking around for our It Takes a Village segment. Remember, if you have anything at all from episode suggestions to conversations for the village, reach out to me on this podcast page our Instagram page at Season Crime, and you can also email us at seasoncrime at gmail.com. I hope you all have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Season Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.